This is part two of our four-part innovation discussion. Here we take a look at innovation in action. Welcome to the PWC-KWHS webinar series for high school educators on business and financial responsibility. I'm Diana Drake, Managing Editor of Knowledge at Wharton High School, and today we are discussing innovation and the art of problem solving. Talk of innovation is everywhere in the business world. To be an innovator is to position yourself on the path to a successful life and career. We tell our high school students that they need to be more innovative, but do they truly understand what that means and how it is related to problem solving? Do they understand that innovation requires critical thinking to see something in an entirely new light and to possibly inspire real change? We'll discuss these and other ideas to help provide high school educators with a framework of understanding for innovation and to find ways to teach students to be innovative thinkers and problem solvers. We're excited to have two top experts in the field helping us to explore this important topic. Shaika Chowdhury is an adjunct associate professor of management and executive director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management at the Wharton School. Rob Shelton is global innovation strategy lead at PwC and specializes in integrating innovation, new business models and new technologies, into an organization's strategy and operations to create growth. Thank you both for sharing your insights today about innovation and the art of problem solving. During our discussion, we'll also be addressing questions from high school educators around the country. Okay, we've talked about some innovation basics, and now let's see innovation in action. We touched on this a little bit already, but I'd like to explore it some more. Some say that to shift society or to have an impact, you have to introduce something novel. Is innovation all about those big radical changes, or does it also define smaller changes? Well, I, I jumped in on that one earlier, so I'll just say it's clearly about a combination of small changes that helps sustain and improve what we already have that's good, as well as big radical changes, which at the right time um, can add value uh, and help make an impact uh, in ways that people never envision. So I think it's a combination of those as opposed to either one or the other. I agree, and, and let's maybe explore a few examples, right? So we, when we went from vacuum tubes to um, transistors, we were able to produce computers that actually fit on a desk and didn't take up an entire room. And that allowed many more people and many more offices to utilize that technology, for example. Um, but even from an uh, – and so the improvement uh, – so that's a radical um, type of improvement – but when you think about it, computers in their generations over time have incrementally developed as well. So they're much faster, uh, have much more storage than they used to. Um, and um, that has benefited us as well. And perfection is also important. And we see that in automobiles as well. The other point I want to make, and Rob could have easily made this point as well, which is that at the organizational level, at the company level, you need to sustain selling your existing products, making them really good. Um, and even better, so that you can also then be able to invest that into the newer, more radical things on the horizon. Yeah, that's a key point, and I, I like that, and I just wanted to jump in. Incremental innovation is not just small and insignificant. Sometimes it's vital. If you're in a corporation and you're making a project, a widget, or providing service, you need to make sure that, that you um, do a good job at that, do a great job at it, and you continue to have revenue and profitability, um, not only because that's a good thing in itself, but that then provides the capability to invest in looking for breakthroughs that might create the next new widget 
it or the like. So the two are not only a, a spectrum of, of small on one side and, and, and mid-size mid and then big, um, but they're actually reinforcing of each other because the big breakthrough, like development of personal computers, um, uh, actually leads to then small incremental improvements as we make them mobile, as we improve their cost, efficiency, we add features and the like. So the, there's, a, there's a swing in any given technology or business model between the big breakthrough and the incremental improvements that follow and then the next big breakthrough. It's a cycle, and we uh, manage that quite effectively in some places. In other places, we are constantly stuck in looking for incremental innovations, and we can't seem to find our way uh, to solving the bigger challenges and, and provide breakthrough innovations. So in keeping with this theme of looking at examples of innovation and action, uh, Shaikut, what are some examples of technological innovation, especially in the financial sector? Uh, in the financial sector, I can think of two or three. I mean, one is certainly the ATM machine, which uh, I mentioned before. I mean, that completely changed the way we uh, interact uh, in terms of withdrawing our money and making deposits and so forth. But that was quite a few uh, decades ago now. Um, nowadays, payment models are changing, for example. So if you think about a company like Square, where any uh, merchant can now fairly easily um, allow credit card transactions to take place, that's one. I think about all the mobile-based um, platforms. So in uh, deep parts of Africa, for example, where uh, many regions were unbanked, people did not have accounts, they're able to now have bank accounts and, and uh, conduct transactions based on purely the cell phone, you know, and uh, ideally a smartphone, but it works on an SMS platform as well with text messages. So that has revolutionized uh, even financial inclusion in terms of the impact. And Rob, what about some examples of innovation in the workplace? Well, I think that we're making maybe faster strides in some ways in the financial sector and other industries, but we are making changes in the workplace. The ones that you can point to immediately are that people are allowed to work remotely from home, um, uh, improving their balance of life in many cases, cutting down effects on the environment from transportation. Right? Also, people are working in a much more connected way. So sometimes that, that's a problem because we feel like we can never get away from our email or the phone or the like. But the truth is that there's a degree of collaboration, um, sometimes videos and face-to-face and, uh, -face kinds of meetings that way electronically that really allow a much warmer, uh, better type of working environment. Um, there's also changes to the workplace. As people have studied uh, what it's like to work in a given environment, they found that some environments are better, light and sunny, proper ventilation. And this is you know, leading to changes where, where you start to find um, chairs and desks and working environments uh, all better improved. So I see multiple attempts to, to make the workplace a better pl uh, spot to, to work. I also see a redefinition of what the workplace is. As I said, working remotely or going to a, a small remote office and working with others. But the, the, the fact is that the workplace is changing along with other aspects of business. So it's, uh, it's still a work in progress, but those are the things I would point to. 
I can't resist jumping in on this one, though. You'll have to apologize. But the um, it relates to my own research as well. Um, in addition to what you're saying, I mean, the whole idea before was that innovation and R&D, especially in a corporate organization, may take place in one or two locations. We've been able to distribute all that effort across time zones, across countries, um, not only for labor uh, cost reasons, but also to take advantage of unique conditions that may allow certain kinds of innovation to take place um, by leveraging technology, per what uh, Rob was also saying. And I think that's really exciting to witness the disaggregation, the distribution of the modern global firm that's able to really leverage resources around the world in real time um, and around the country to be able to come up with things faster and better and hopefully also cheaper. Absolutely true. So there's a lot of talk these days about the importance of teamwork and teaching high school students, for instance, to learn to work in teams. How does teamwork relate to the process of innovation? Well, I'll jump in um, first. Innovation is at its heart a team sport. Uh, We sometimes think of innovation as something where one person has a a moment of insight, and then it's all over, and it happens. Well, the reality is is that innovation's got many stages. Um, the idea is part of it, um, improving the idea, um, making it real, uh, bringing it to, to reality. With, uh, it takes a whole bunch of people. And so what we find is that uh, the most successful innovations are ones where the teams work together and collaborate. There's technology, there's business model, there's the user interface, there's There's all kinds of things that have to come together. So I think that, uh, and and I see this in my work all the time, one of the problems that crops up over and over again um, is that uh, folks that I see trying to innovate don't necessarily collaborate very well. They, In their own teams, they might do all right, but if they try to collaborate with a, an external partner who might be critical to making this happen, um, they're not as good at it as, as they, they should be. And I often think that they needed to have been taught better um, through experience, through, through training, through hands-on collaboration to, to be better at partnering. Uh, the reality reality is, uh, as Shaikh pointed out, um, that you know everyone's working in broader systems, sometimes spread around the world. Um, the reality is, outside of any company, are partners that you need to deal with these days. Uh, and I like to point out, there's like a billion IQ points outside of any organization that if you can tap into, it's a huge benefit to the innovation you're trying to undertake. So I see collaboration at the heart of innovation, and it's an area where we frankly need to do a better job. I fully agree with that. Eureka moments are rare. And even if they happen to take that eureka moment, that invention, and make it into an innovation, there's so many complexities and uncertainties. It's very hard for anyone to do by themselves. And like Rob said, the whole ecosystem matters more than ever. That's why you see platforms. So Android is a platform, for example, around which a number of different vendors produce apps or phones. That's the way that uh, we make progress. Lily De La Torre Shu, a teacher at String Theory High School in Philadelphia, wants to better understand how employees should balance innovation and creativity with following orders from superiors. Does the workplace encourage boundless innovation? The answer is no. Uh, (laughs) There are very few places that say, you know, go crazy. Um, There are a few that try that out, um, but it's difficult. I I think that the the flip side of that is um, uh, workplaces um, encourage innovation, 
but you have to figure out what types of innovation would best suit the situation. There are some places where this small incremental innovation is exactly what you should be aiming for, uh, and those are usually pretty well accepted. But sometimes there's opportunities to make significant changes, the, the, the breakthrough innovation. Um, getting permission to do that uh, is a good thing. You need to do it beforehand. Um, trying to force an innovation on an organization or bring into the organization the innovation you've created um, will not always be easy if, it's a, if it challenges the way things are done. Something happens in organizations when they're given a major change, a breakthrough innovation. I call it organizational antibodies. And they come out and they try and, and, and stop the change. They're not badly intentioned. It's just that this is a change that sort of feels uncomfortable. So the organization will try to maintain a status quo. What we want are to create organizations, businesses, uh, and organizations across all aspects and government and education and the like that are more open to innovation. And that's where the focus is these days, is understanding how to tap into the talent that exists and to channel the innovations in ways that, that doesn't threaten the organization or the business, but actually enhances it. And that is a challenge. But these days, many places are not as open to innovation as they need to be. Yeah, I, I have a few reactions to this question. It's a very important one. Um, I like the word balance because it's very important to have a balance between some form of hierarchy to be able to implement um, and at the same time encourage new things to bubble up in an organization. Um, it's interesting because firms like Facebook, Google, um, and the like are really, and even Amazon, are in a mode where they've been a startup-like environment for a long time, which is important. But the problem is when you have 30 billion, let's say, in revenue, and you've got 10 or 20,000 employees, and you've got a lot of revenue to protect, and you've got to maintain certain quality standards and so forth, you will have chaos if that is a purely creative, open environment where everybody does whatever they feel like. You need to have some scale, you need to have some replicability, some reliability, um, and some structure around it. Yet at the same time, that very structure creates a challenge because that leads to inertia. The more structure and process you put in, the harder it is to be creative. So I like um, where Rob was heading with this. I mean, basically, what you need is a balance at the macro level, but also then tailor your, your part of the organization to what you're trying to do. The part of the organization that does more exploration work, the new things need a little bit more autonomy. The part of the organization that is maybe in the process of uh, thinking of improvements or quickly uh, scaling up a product uh, or sales needs to be a bit more in that hierarchical mode to be efficient. And so it's a trade-off between efficiency and effectiveness in many ways. Um, and uh, that balance need to be, needs to be maintained uh, to be successful in the long run. You're absolutely right. And getting the balance right is one of the challenges. Companies for organizations in general for a long time have been highly focused on incremental innovation. It served them well. But as I said, there's a recognition that um, there's a need to embrace innovation more broadly and to do more breakthrough innovation. Uh, folks are trying to bring that about. Um, but breakthrough innovation isn't done exactly the same way as incremental innovation. The, the people, the processes, uh, the location and organization vary. 
Um, because as Shaikat said, if you are working on small incremental improvements, you need sort of a hierarchy and a focus on efficiency so that you don't waste time or money, but that you do make the improvements. But if you're looking for a breakthrough, you have to handle that in a way that allows folks to be uh, insulated from the day-to-day and explore new opportunities and options. And um, we're just learning. We're seeing examples, very positive and successful examples uh, over the past 10 years of organizations that have been able to do that, this duality of, of being able to maintain the incremental, but also foster effective breakthrough innovation. And, and this is one of the major areas of uh, focus these days for an awful lot of organizations.